This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A group of students from a boarding school went on a school picnic. Some of them went exploring, but never returned to the picnic ground. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called The Picnic. The students went on a school picnic. What happened? I am really looking forward to bringing you this story today, as it contains so many elements that are special to me. Firstly, it takes place in Australia and also involves students at a school. It's also historical, and history is one of my keen interests. So for this story, we travel back more than a century to the year 1900 in Australia. By that time, the British had occupied Australia for just over 100 years, although Australia's Indigenous occupation had gone back tens of thousands of years. In the southeast of Australia is the state of Victoria, with the capital city Melbourne. Just about 60 kilometres outside of Melbourne is a small town named Macedon, and it sits nestled near a mountain called Mount Macedon. The story took place in a rural, sparsely populated area, so the last thing you'd expect to find was a large and foreboding two-storey mansion. It was built from expensive stone, and the furnishings throughout were opulent. There were marble mantelpieces from Italy, a spiral staircase, classical statues and Victorian furnishings, all of which looked out of place in this remote spot in the middle of nowhere in the late 1800s. However, it wasn't the only house of this type in the area. Macedon had become a place where wealthy people from Melbourne went to build large houses with grand gardens. The owner of this particular mansion eventually put it up for sale and it was purchased by a lady newly arrived from England named Mrs Appleyard. She planned to turn it into a boarding school, and so the school was opened in 1894 and was called Mrs Appleyard's College for Young Ladies. How appropriate, right, that her name was Appleyard. It seems that she was destined to be a teacher. In its first year, with headmistress Appleyard running the school, It became a great success. In the corridors and in the classrooms, signs could be seen which read, Silence is golden. (laughs) I really would like to try using this sign in my classroom. So we now fast forward six years to the year 1900. It was a Saturday, but also a very special day that the girls at the boarding school had so looked forward to. It was February the 14th and therefore St. Valentine's Day. It had been traditional on this day each year for the students at Mrs. Appleyard's school to go on a picnic. So going on the picnic were 19 girls and two teachers. Miss Greta McCraw was the maths teacher, and Mademoiselle Diane de Portiers was the French teacher. They would be travelling in a horse-drawn coach, and Mr. Ben Hussey was the driver. The spot they were going to is still a very popular picnic location today. It is nestled at the base of Mount Macedon and one of the geological features of the mountain 
is a rock formation known as hanging rock, which is a large boulder suspended between other boulders. For tens of thousands of years, indigenous groups lived around the rock but were forcibly displaced when the British colonised Australia. So the headmistress instructed the group to return back by 8 o'clock that evening, saying the following, Well, young ladies, we are indeed fortunate in the weather for our picnic to Hanging Rock. You will partake of luncheon at the picnic grounds near the rock. Once again, let me remind you that the rock itself is extremely dangerous and you are therefore forbidden to engage in any tomboy foolishness in the matter of exploration, even on the lower slopes. It is, however, a geological marvel on which you will be required to write a brief essay on Monday morning. I also wish to remind you that the vicinity is renowned for its venomous snakes and poisonous ants of various species. Have a pleasant day and try to behave yourselves in a manner to bring credit to the college. I shall expect you back, Miss McCraw and Mademoiselle, at eight o'clock for a light supper. So the coach headed off with some very excited schoolgirls. After arriving at the picnic grounds, they had lunch and then some of the girls walked around exploring the area, but were told by the teachers to make sure not to wander off and keep where the teachers could see them. One of the students named Marion was a keen mathematician and asked if she could go to the base of the rock and take some measurements with her paper and ruler. The teachers agreed and then some of the other girls were keen to go as well. So the four girls went off together. The teachers and the coach driver discussed what time they should start heading back in order to return to school by 8pm. The coach driver suggested no later than 5pm and he also told the teachers to keep an eye on the time as his own clock had stopped working at around 12 noon. Miss McCraw took out her watch only to find that hers too had stopped working. So as the afternoon wore on, they had to keep track of the sun and watched the shadow that was cast onto the picnic ground by the rock. Meanwhile, the girls who had gone to measure the rock had come to a small creek and had to cross to get to the rock. They walked alongside the creek and managed to find a good spot where they were able to jump across to the other side. And it was then that they heard a peculiar sound. They heard what sounded like someone whistling. It was then that they saw a group of people having their own picnic. There was a man and his wife and their nephew and coachman. Perhaps the whistle had been to approve of how well the girls had managed to jump across the creek given the clothes that they were wearing, long dresses with corsets and stockings and shoes. The girls continued on until they finally reached the base of the rock and they were in total awe of how huge it was. Miranda remembered her father talking about the rock, saying that there was a track somewhere which led to the top. So they wanted to find the track and get as high as they could. Miranda also remembered her father showing her a painting that someone had done of the rock, showing some ladies in old-fashioned dresses having a picnic at the rock. She didn't know it, but the painting was done in 1875 by an artist named William Ford, and it went on to hang 
in the National Gallery of Victoria, becoming an iconic Australian painting. So as the girls kept walking, they were going higher and higher up and eventually reached a spot where there was a large rock which was flattened out like a shelf. So they climbed up onto the shelf and from there they had a view of the picnic grounds and they were able to see their classmates and teachers. They rested for a while and took off their shoes and stockings. Tired from the walk, they lay down and fell asleep. After waking up, the girls wanted to continue exploring, but one of the girls, Edith, wasn't really keen to go on and suggested that they should go back to the others. She was fearful that they would get lost, but the girls wanted to keep going. Edith followed along for a short time, but finally had enough and wanted to go back. She urged the others to stop, but they wanted to keep going. Edith implored them to stop, but they ignored her. She eventually gave up and decided to go back down to the others. Meanwhile, back at the college, it was approaching 9pm and the headmistress had expected them back at 8 and they still hadn't turned up by 10pm. But finally, she heard the familiar sound of horse hooves and the group were finally back. As the girls got out of the coach, she noticed how dishevelled they looked. Some looked distressed and some were even crying, so clearly something was wrong. She also noticed that one teacher was not with the group. The French teacher told Mrs Appleyard that something awful had happened, and that's when the coachman told her that three of the girls had gone missing and that Mrs McCraw had stayed behind at the rock in case the girls came back to the picnic ground. The headmistress immediately contacted the police and the next day the police sent a search party to the rock with bloodhounds and an Aboriginal tracker. The police also interviewed the coachman to find out the full story and here is the statement that he gave. Quote, After the two teachers and myself realised that nobody in our party had the correct time, both my own watch and Miss McCraw's having stopped during the drive out, it was agreed that we should leave the picnic grounds as soon as convenient after lunch, as Mrs Appleyard was expecting us back at the college no later than eight o'clock. The French lady arranged we should have some tea and cake. After that, I harnessed up my horses as we had a fairly long drive ahead of us. I should say it was then about half past three, judging by the way the shadows were moving on the rock. As soon as my billies were boiling, I went over to tell the two ladies in charge that tea was ready. The elderly teacher, who had been sitting reading under a tree when I had last seen her, was not there. In fact, I never saw her again. The French lady seemed very upset and asked me if I had noticed Miss McCraw walking away from the camp, which I had not. She told me none of the girls saw which way she went. I can't understand her not being back here on time. Miss McCraw is such a punctual lady. I asked if all the rest of my passenger were present and ready to leave. She told me all but four. With my permission, they went for a short walk along the creek so as to get a closer view of Hanging Rock. All except Edith are senior girls and very reliable. The three missing girls had travelled with me to the picnic grounds on the box seat. I knew them quite well. They were Miss Miranda, 
Miss Irma and Miss Marion. I wasn't particularly worried so far, only a bit put out by the delay in getting away. I know that part of the country pretty well, and I soon had the girls organised to look for them in pairs, round the creek on the flat, calling out as they went. About an hour must have gone by when the girl Edith came running down out of the scrub near the southwestern base of the rock, crying and laughing and with her dress torn to ribbons. I thought she was going to have a fit of hysterics. She said she had left the other three girls somewhere up there pointing to the rock, but seemed to have no idea in which direction. We asked her over and over again to try and remember which way they had gone, but all we could get out of her was that she had got frightened and then ran back downhill all the way. Luckily, I always carry emergency brandy in my flask. We gave her some and wrapped her up in my driving coat and Miss Rosamond, one of the senior girls, took her off to lie down in the drag while we went on with the search. I called all the girls back and counted them and this time we went further afield, right up to the base of the rock on the southern elevation, trying to find Edith's tracks but they were petered out almost at once on stony ground. Without a magnifying glass, it was impossible to see anything in the way of a footprint. None of the scrub seemed to be disturbed, except for a few yards where she had come out into the open ground and started to run back towards our camp at the creek. For further reference, we marked the opening between these trees with some sticks. Meanwhile, two of the senior girls had gone off along the creek intending to make some inquiries from another picnic party who were there when we arrived before lunch, but they had put out their fire and left, probably while I was attending to my horses, four people and a wagonette. I think it was Colonel Fitzhubert's, but did not actually see any of them to speak to. Several of the girls said they had seen this wagonette driving away earlier in the afternoon with the young fellow on the white Arab pony riding behind. We must have gone on calling and searching for several hours. I couldn't believe my senses that there are three or four sensible people could just disappear so quickly in such a comparatively small area without some kind of tracks. I am still just as mystified as even the lowest and most accessible levels of the rock are exceedingly treacherous, especially for inexperienced girls in long summer dresses. I was afraid of letting them out of my sight in case they got lost themselves, what with the holes and precipices, and to my knowledge, only one overgrown track leading towards the summit, which presumably the missing persons did not take as I made it a point of looking there very thoroughly at the point where it starts. There were no signs of crushed undergrowth, footprints, etc., either here or anywhere else. As it grew later and darker, we had no means of knowing the time except by the sinking sun. We lit a number of fires along the creek in such a way that they could be seen from various angles by anyone on this side of the rock. We also kept on cooing as loudly as we could, singly and all together. I got the two billies and beat on them with a crowbar 
I always keep in the drag for emergencies. By this time, the French lady and I were at our wits' end to decide whether to drive back with the news or to keep on looking. We had only the two oil lamps on the drag and my hurricane lamp lit up on a few square yards at a time. If the missing persons were still somewhere on the rock, which I had begun to doubt, without matches, they would be in real danger after dark unless they had the sense to sit tight in a cave until daylight. The French lady and some of the girls were getting a bit hysterical and no wonder. None of us had had so much as a cup of tea since lunchtime. We were too worried to think of making it. We had some lemonade and biscuits and I decided to take the party back to the college without looking any more that night. I don't honestly know if I did right to act as I did, but I take full responsibility for the decision. I am pretty well acquainted with three missing girls, and I reckoned that unless they had all three met with an accident, which seemed unlikely, Miss Miranda, who was well used to the bush, would have kept her head and found some safe place to shelter for the night. As for the teacher, I hope for her own sake she didn't wander off on her own. A knowledge of arithmetic don't help much in the bush. After calling in at the police station on the way home and briefly informing the officer on duty what had occurred at the Hanging Rock, we drove to Appleyard College without further delay. And I forgot to mention that I made a careful investigation of the public laboratories at the picnic ground. There were no footprints or any signs of recent use. The police were able to find the other group who had also been picnicking and had seen the girls cross the creek. They said none of them had spoken to the girls, but one of the boys had whistled at them because of how well they had jumped over the creek. One of the boys had gone for a walk but didn't see the girls and thought surely they would come back soon as their thick dresses just wouldn't allow them to go too far through the thick scrub. The group then left the picnic ground, never seeing the girls again. As Edith had been the only girl to return, the police decided to take her back to the rock to try to retrace her steps and show them where they had walked. But she was very vague, not remembering where they had gone. But she did remember seeing the teacher through the trees, running back to the group, and she wasn't wearing her skirt, just her pantaloons or her drawers. As the days progressed, the police continued to conduct further searches, but did not find the girls. That's when the two young men who had seen the girls decided to go and do their own search. They thought it was a long shot, as the Aboriginal tracker and bloodhounds had found nothing, but they really wanted to help, feeling somewhat responsible that they didn't stop them from continuing up the rock. So Albert and Mike searched throughout the day using bits of paper from a notebook to put on the bushes which showed where they had walked so they didn't research in areas they had already been and it also prevented them from getting lost themselves. Then as nightfall approached, they decided to head home and resume the search in the morning. However, Mike ultimately decided to stay the night. The next morning he resumed the search, 
using the bits of paper to guide him. Meanwhile, Albert returned the next morning to continue the search with Mike, but did not expect to find what he found. Mike was laying on the ground with a cut on his forehead and scratches on his body. His eyes were closed and Albert thought the worst. However, Mike was still breathing but appeared to be unconscious. The awkward position of his body made him think that perhaps he had fallen. He then raced back to town to fetch a doctor. By the time the doctor arrived with a stretcher, Mike was awake and they were able to transport him back. Albert then looked through Mike's notebook and found something he had written. It said, Albert above bush, my flags, hurry, high up. So it appeared that Mike had written this message after he slipped and fell. Did he perhaps think he was going to die? Had he found something before he fell? Albert then fetched the police and the doctor and they returned to the rock. They followed the bits of paper and finally came across a girl lying on the ground. She looked in a bad state. In fact, they feared she was dead. Surely she was dead since it had been so many days since the girls had gone missing. The doctor checked her wrist for a pulse and by some miracle he felt her pulse. She was the girl named Irma. After returning back to town, a thorough examination showed that she only had minor cuts and bruises and was suffering from shock and exposure. When she was strong enough to speak, the police interviewed her, but she had no memory of what had happened. Both Irma and Mike eventually recovered, but never again could recall exactly what had happened on the rock. The girls and the teacher were never found, and it remains a mystery to this very day. So what do you think happened? Did they perhaps fall down some type of a deep rock crevice where their bodies could never be found? Or was there foul play? As we saw, Mike and Albert had seen the group. They had gone back to search for them, but did they really go back to hide the evidence of their crime? Or was Mike the only one involved as he wanted to spend the night there by himself? Did he do something to the girls? Remember, he had whistled at them. Perhaps he was interested in one of the girls. Had he followed them and then something happened? So what an amazing story, right? It just seems too amazing to be true. And well, you'd be right because this story wasn't actually true. So sorry, everyone, but this was my April Fool's joke for you. So let me explain. This story is actually fictional, but it was based on a real book that was published by an Australian author named Joan Lindsay about 50 years ago in 1967. So since it involved a boarding school and girls that went missing, maybe as the result of foul play, I decided to tell the story, but I've been saving it for April Fool's Day. So did I fool you? I probably didn't fool my Australian listeners, as this book is an Australian classic. It's called Picnic at Hanging Rock. So you might like to read it yourself after hearing this abridged version. Although the story is fiction, there are still a lot of facts, such as the town Macedon really does exist, and Hanging Rock also really exists in Macedon, 
and this location has become quite a tourist attraction since the book was published. Other than that, it was all fiction. Now, there is actually more to the story. The book goes on to describe other things that happen after the group disappears. The school loses its reputation and more tragic things happen. But I didn't include all of this. It describes how everyone coped after the tragedy. So I thought I wouldn't tell you all of the rest in case that you want to read the book yourself. So the fact that the book has become iconic may have something to do with the mystery of what happened to the girls and the teacher. It is really interesting for you to know that the author had actually explained the mystery in the very last chapter. But after discussion with her editor, it was decided to leave this chapter out. And I think this tactic certainly worked, as it really added to the intrigue. So I'm not sure if it would have been such a success if the mystery had been revealed. I have found this myself when listening to some true crime stories which remain unsolved. They are just so much more intriguing. But would you believe that this much-talked-about final chapter was finally published after the author's death, which was 20 years after the book's release? This was at the author's own request. She gave her agent permission to publish the final chapter after her death. It's called The Secret of Hanging Rock. So would you like to hear what happened? Well, keep listening, or if you want to maintain the mystery, then it's your choice. So here is the final chapter. So what's happened so far is that the girls have walked off and Edith calls them back but they continue. Edith then runs back to the others. After that, as the girls come closer to the rock, they get a supernatural sensation, as if they are being pulled inside out and they feel dizzy. They then lay down and go to sleep. Then a woman appears only wearing undergarments. So we know that this was the teacher, but the girls don't recognize her. They all then take off their corsets and throw them over the edge of the cliff, but they just seem to hang in space as if stuck fast in time. Then they see a hole in space which seems to be some sort of a natural phenomenon. A little snake then appears and disappears down a crack in the rock. The teacher says she's going to go down the rock to follow it, but first she transforms into a lizard and then disappears down the crack. Two of the girls perform this same magical transformation and disappear down the crack. A large boulder then rolls over and covers the crack. So Irma is all by herself and tries to move the rock, but she can't and gives up in frustration and passes out. And we know that she is then later found. So what do you think? Do you think that this should have been included in the book? I must say that I was really disappointed and glad that it wasn't in the book. I really didn't think that it fitted with the book at all. Nothing else about the book had any supernatural elements. So to me, it really just felt out of place. But then again, I'm not into anything supernatural. So that might be why I didn't enjoy it. It was just too weird for my liking. So I think it was a really good call to leave that part out. 
and actually I wished it hadn't been published at all. I just think it spoiled a good story. And of course, there was so much anticipation about it, but I wonder how many people would have also been as disappointed as I was. So now I'd like for you to hear some audio of the author herself talking about her book. Yes, well now, Picnic at Hanging Rock really was an experience to write because I was just impossible when I was writing it. I know, I just sort of thought about it all night long. I think a great many writers, I understand, I think Patrick White is the same. I think that a lot of them lie awake at night and think about what they're going to write next day. I used to write half of that book in my head, and in the morning I would go straight up to the little room upstairs, sit on the floor, papers all around me like that, and just write like a demon, because I knew just exactly what was going to happen from the night before. It was almost as if it was uh, before me in a kind of, uh, almost like a film when I wrote it. I wasn't thinking of a film, but it was very visual experience for me. And by the way, I never went to that school as a girl. So people who think, which was on the blurb of one of the penguins, which was a great mistake, but I didn't see it, they said I was at school, at this awful school that I've written about in Picnic. But of course I wasn't, and it wasn't anywhere near there, really. But I did go to Mount Maston, where most of it takes place, as a little child of three. In fact, I said my first words at Mount Maston, but certainly not at school. A lot of people have uh, tried to find out the secret of the mystery in Picnic at Hanging Rock. You never tell them, do you? I'll say they have. I've had what is called, I suppose, a fan mail. People still write to me, I suppose, with the best intentions. It's very nice and very flattering to a writer if they just write and say they've enjoyed the book. Well, that is marvellous, and I do try and write to answer them. But it's an extraordinary thing to me that people are not content to leave it as a mystery. I don't know how many of my listeners now have read it or whether they want to know the exact chapter and verse for everything that happened. But I can only say that for me, fact and fiction are so closely allied. Some of it really happened and some of it didn't. And to me, it all happened. It was all terribly true for me. But I, I don't wish to spoil the, the mystery. It's written as a mystery, and I always tell these well-meaning people who want to know everything, I just say, well, it was written as a mystery, and it remains a mystery, and I'm very sorry. And I hardly ever get any answers. They probably think I'm the rudest woman unhung, but I can't tell them any more than that. So here is some more information about The Rock, which is a real landmark, in the real town of Macedon. Today, the rock is looked after by the local council who have created a recreation reserve which has been listed as a heritage site as a place of historical significance. Each year on Valentine's Day, a local historical group hosts a special costumed event where people dress in old Victorian clothing and have a picnic at the base before climbing the rock. Gee, I would just love to do that. The reserve also has an outdoor concert venue and some very famous singers and bands have held concerts there, such as Rod Stewart, Bruce Springsteen, Ed Sheeran, Elton John, 
and Australian bands such as Cold Chisel and Midnight Oil. So as you can imagine, The Rock became such a place of interest after the book was published, but even more so when it was made into a movie eight years later in 1973. This resulted in a large increase in visits to The Rock. The movie can easily be found on YouTube if you'd like to watch it. So it's called Picnic at Hanging Rock. So there you go. That's my little April Fool's Day joke for you. I hope I haven't angered anybody. I just thought it was such a good story, the fact that it had the boarding school and the students and the teachers. And I thought, oh, if only that story was actually real, I could make it a part of my podcast. But then I thought, hang on a minute, I've got an idea here. Well, if I publish it on April Fool's Day, then that would be the perfect excuse for actually using the story. Anyway, so I hope that you enjoyed it. And now to finish this episode, I thought I would leave you with a quote about April Fool's Day. Today is April Fool's Day. Believe nothing and trust no one, just like any other day. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.